Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there. I'm Andy Anatko, and this is episode 249, 249 of the Material Podcast. There is no significance to that number because, well, it's 249. I mean, we're going to make a big deal about 250. 250 is going to be uh, actually our first show back together uh, with uh, Flo and myself together uh, in a long time. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a big whoop de doo We're going to have a big hidey-ho. Uh, I'm probably going to use this, use this as an excuse to go buy a cake under the pretense that it's a party that I'm sharing with Flo, even though, of course, I'm eating the whole cake myself. Uh, but 249, I mean, we sh- it's, it's still an achievement. Good heavens. Uh, there are many – there are – most podcasts don't make it to 249 episodes, and I've been on several of those. I've <laughs> launched several of those episodes, but eh, okay. But well, so I'm just saying, I I want everyone to. I, I just I was about to say to hey, let's all get excited because next uh, next week we're going to have our show 249. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be excited about this one as well. There's lots of interesting things happening. I'll have commentary. I've shaved. I know it doesn't come across on radio but, uh, or, and on podcasts, but I shaved nonetheless. And so it's a, every, every single day can be special, even if every single day we are trapped inside. No, we are self-quarantining with uh, lots to do. <laughs> <laughs> lots to read uh, and uh, lots of people to know. Uh, th- things are going okay over here. Uh, the, your, I did. I did make one uh, one uh, shift, one mental shift. Uh, I've already been very, very uh, fortunate in being able to uh, uh, see. In February, February, I was uh, I, I, for the past several months. I've been following uh, the story about the coronavirus in China as it was going to affect like manufacturing like how is it going to affect tech uh, technology and how's it going to affect you know companies that have to send workers to china and back again to keep tabs on certain projects that sort of thing uh it wasn't the news had not been coming out about how severe it was even in china yet so but little by little and by february i kind of knew that oh dear this this is going to be a big problem and it is going to possibly become a pandemic so it's not as though i started buying supplies like buying hand sanitizer and alcohol and paper products in february it's just that when i was doing my regular weekly wednesday shopping if i saw big bottles of purell two for five dollars and there's like a dozen of them oh you know what maybe i will take two for five dollars and then maybe i'd back up the cart say you know what maybe i will take another two for five dollars that sort of thing so i was always so i'm very very well prepared for the next month or two or however long it's going to be to make sure that we can glove up and sanitize up and all that sort of stuff um and uh, so i was a little bit a little bit ahead of the curve there uh for some reason last week Another idea occurred to me that uh, as I'm doing sort of inventory of what uh, the next couple of months could possibly uh, could possibly bring uh, here in my state, the the uh, the statistical models are suggesting that uh, the peak of the curve is going to be in about two or three weeks, meaning the maximum number if things if things continue to progress the way that they've been trending in my state. In two or three weeks, we'll see the maximum number of people who are seeking treatment, and then we'll start to, tr- to taper off again, assuming that we all do our part and all all do what we're supposed to do. So uh, my thoughts were like, I'm living, I live alone, so it's like 
and we know enough about what the systems that are in place are uh, are, are best handled to equip, are best handled to uh, to take care of us. Are what we're supposed to do in this position, and mostly it's that. If for the vast majority of people, given that I don't have any respiratory problems, I don't have any immune uh, immune issues, uh, it's probably going to be if I do contract the virus and if I do get sick off the virus, it's the worst case scenario is probably going to be it's going to be like two and a half weeks in bed. <laughs> and it's going to be and it's going to be awful, but no, nothing life, uh, nothing life threatening. So I thought that maybe it's to, I should as part of the, as part of that do your part attitude to make sure that I'm in the best position to not uh <laughs> wonder okay now am I one of the am I one of those rare people that gee he had no he has no respiratory problems no immune no immune immune system issues but nonetheless he is about to die from the, from this uh, from this illness uh it's more it's more the worry of doing it of when you're like in bed like that than the actual threat the actual problem and so i started uh, I, I, I it's sometimes the best thing to do or the the most the best self care uh, to ad- address your sort of worry and your anxiety is to get information and to do something positive. And of course, I don't, uh, I don't think it was, I was necessarily just doing self care here, but, but it was like, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's make sure we lay, lay in, let's pretend as though we know we're going to get really, really sick in 10 to, to in 10 days. What would we like to have in the house already to ready to go so that, uh, when I start to feel like a little, when I f- start to feel like I'm coming down with the flu or something, I don't have to go to the drugstore, uh, or I don't have to go and shop uh, and risk exposing people. So yeah, I made sure I had uh, fever reducers, made sure I had uh, pain relievers, made sure I have uh, Gatorade in case I get dehydrated. I did buy myself a pulse oximeter. Uh, so I could to, to join my uh, my existing digital menagerie of my digital thermometer and my uh, and my digital blood pressure cuff. So it's it's like I've got all the stuff that so that and and the the see that's the fun part. The fun part is oh I'm going shopping and look I'm acquiring things and I'm buying things. These are all things I could use later on anyway. So who cares? So so it's not as though I'm like wasting money. Uh, so okay, well the 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 difficult part though is realizing that. We also have to make sure that, like, we have a sick room or a sick bed ready for ourselves. That means that, Andy, perhaps you want to get rid of all the Amazon boxes and all, like, the books and all the stuff that you kind of have to, have to like, step over when you get out of bed in the morning. So, uh, damn it, now it's not down to housekeeping. Before it was just shopping, and shopping is kind of fun. Chiefly because it is the it's still the Easter season, so in addition to getting the the vitamins and getting the cough drops and getting the acetaminophen and stuff like that, it's like oh look Cadbury caramel eggs. I'll get one of those as well. Hey, so if you you have to deal with stuff in your own way, information is good. Uh, making sure that you're prepared is good. Uh, so part of what makes it makes it very very helpful to uh, to empower yourself is also knowing that. Whereas normally in a flu season, my uh, my biggest thought is that well I don't want to have to like take two or three or four days off of work because like I'm all achy and and feverish and tired. Uh, yes, transmission of the of the normal flu bug is a problem, but it's not quite the crisis that 
we're facing right now. So it's easy to sort of mostly think about it as, oh, I, I myself don't want to get myself sick. Somehow you're motivated even more powerfully when your thought is that if I prevent myself from uh, from communicating from communicating a a virus to other people, I'm going to keep other people healthy as well. And somehow that does get your butt out <laughs> to make sure that anything that I can do to make sure that I will not have to leave this house for any reason until I feel like if I get sick, I won't have to leave the house for any reason until I feel as though I'm 100% better again. I guess that's worth doing. So uh, I hate to say that it took, it took a global pandemic to get me to do like the major, major, major house cleaning I've been postponing for like five or six months, you know, the kind where you're not just like sweeping, you're not just taking out the trash. You're not just saying, Oh, here are like two or three glasses that like have been in the living room for, for three or four days. I'm talking about the kind where like you're actually pulling the furniture away from the, away from the walls. So you can get at, like you can sweep underneath everywhere uh, and making sure that if you, if you were to try to sell your home, or, or, or if you had refugees coming in, let's say, if you had unexpected visitors, uh, could you put them up? Could you? Would you hesitate before saying yes? Absolutely, come over. I don't know how that. I don't know why that came up. Uh, so I, I didn't plan on saying that, but yeah, that's also part of what's on my mind right now because I do have lots of friends in New York City, and New York City is the big, big, big spike when you see that uh, 3D map of where the COVID nineteen cases are, and my friends are. Also, they're also very, very well prepared. They are not particularly vulnerable. We're all vulnerable to an extent, but not the sort of – I have elderly relatives uh, an hour away that I'm very worried about. But I'm not worried about people my age who are in very, who are, uh, in very, very good health. I'm particularly worried anyway. But yeah, you think about that. And we're – because I'm in New England, uh, a lot of our New England states are – reacting a little bit with a little bit more uh, reservation towards our New York city brothers and sisters than we normally do. Now, normally this sort, we keep this sort of uh, thing tamped way, way, way down, except when the Red Sox are playing the Yankees uh, in postseason play, in which case it's all out in the open. But normally we try to hide this when you have like Rhode Island, saying if you've got Rhode Island plates we're going to pull you over and we're just going to make sure that we know you know that you're going to have to quarantine for 2 weeks and we have to know where you're going to be quarantining so that if we have a statistical anomaly that's that's pinpointed at a certain location we know to go to your house, to your friend's house so so uh, I'm so I was thinking about that like where um my my friends are smart enough that they wouldn't do the thing where, well, we're going to leave a hot zone and create another hot zone somewhere else in new England. But this is what's, uh, this is what's happening around here where it's like, uh, if they decided for whatever reason that, gee, we really have to be in another state now, uh, if things, if, uh, the situation in New York city isn't, uh, at let's say movie style apocalypse, situation where people absolutely need to flee to save their lives but if they if they if my friends did want to did decide that even for their own mental well-being that uh some of them if some of them were so full of anxiety they just couldn't move and they just couldn't like shower and feed themselves uh, that they're so worried and the only solution to that were to find a friend to crash with 
it's like it it is it does put that in my mind that uh, I would certainly take them in. I would uh, I would make sure that I, I help them to enforce the two week quarantine. But I've never thought of that before. Have we ever thought about the idea of taking in uh, refugees from other states, so to speak? And how does that color our attitude towards our country taking in refugees? When push comes to shove, when rubber meets the rubber meets the road, are we going to act with humanity and compassion, or are we going to act out of fear? Now, it helps that these people are some of my best friends. I'm thinking in particular of my uh, my very best friend since uh, since junior high, and of course, absolutely, I'd like to think that uh, if the common wisdom was that. This will that taking in a stranger will not will not uh, help spread a disease or spread a problem, but simply aid in uh, aid to to reduce suffering. I would like to think that I would do that as well. Who knows? Because I've never been in that position. Uh, so we remember that we're all we all when we when we imagine ourselves in times of really really big moral crisis, we always imagine ourselves doing the right thing, uh, but. Like I said, it's isn't it weird that we're that I'm now thinking in terms of uh, the of the possibility of refugee my friends being refugees from New York City, and again I don't I'm this is not the situation that is happening. There are people who like have uh, have proper live in New York City, but they have properties elsewhere. This, by the way, is the nature of why Rhode Island was doing uh, taking all those steps that made the national news. Uh, because there are a lot of people who live in New York but have vacation properties on, in the seacoast of Rhode Island. Uh, there are also a lot of rental properties around here. And the state has enough information just year to year to know that here is where a lot of New Yorkers come during the summer and stay for a couple of weeks. So let's just make sure that we keep an eye in parking lots at the TGI Fridays, <laughs> assuming the TGI Fridays were open in these particular communities to look for out-of-state plates and make sure that they have already been quarantining in place. That's a sort of thing that that's happening now. And it also, uh, it also gives us a little bit of extra insight or extra sympathy for how people in history have reacted to remarkable events where um, this is in no way like a world war there's no way like going through a country's revolution but it is an odd sort of time it seems interesting to imagine 50 years from now how generate when we have our second third generation of kids uh, removed from uh, uh, from 2020 how do they will they understand exactly what we were going through and what the what the situation was like um, most of us have probably were at least historically aware of the uh, of the 1918 flu epidemic, and how oh gosh that's a, those are high numbers of deaths and oh goodness they were doing all kinds of quarantining and and it's, academically you look at it one way and uh, if there's something that was even uh, four times more harsh you think my goodness how how could you possibly live through that and sometimes it's just that when you're looking at statistics and data from a historical textbook, you can't really emotionally or practically relate to it. However, as we're all living through this, we're, we have access to the entire environment that is around us historically at this moment. And all of the stuff that would factor into decisions like taking in a refugee 
or voluntarily staying inside the house for two or three months, only leave, only leaving for uh, leaving only for uh, uh, for uh, for uh, food, medical treatment, and stuff like that. Um, even the idea of wow, you mean that you actually let the government just post the national guard, the borders, like they actually let the, let the governor of your state shut down all the bars and all the restaurants and uh, make it, uh, make it against the rules to gather in groups of more than five. How, how did, wow. How, how did you deal with that, those kinds of civil liberties? And we might have to tell them that a, we had a certain amount of faith that this wasn't just simply a precursor to a coup of some kind to turn us into a police state that would last until your generation came. It was that we had access to information. We had access to data. We realized that this is the, and we'd also had access to the experiences of other countries that had been, uh, that the uh, virus had been sweeping into months before. And so we knew that given that our individual governors were not wingnuts, that this is a sensible thing and something that we're able and willing to do. Uh, I'll, I'll we'll move on in a sec, but yeah, I was also, I've, the other thing I was thinking of is uh, some, this is, this might, I don't know if this is a, a, an indication of an age gap. Uh, when I was a kid, the idea of someone who grew up during the great depression uh, at, it was it was kind of like a waning thing. Maybe my, my grandparents lived through the Great Depression. My parents were already born by the time it was all it was all over with. So maybe that was like a big big thing, like during the '60s and the '70s. When by the '80s, maybe not so much. But the joke would be like, "Oh wow, your grandmother <laughs> like orders like a, a, a goes to the restaurant, asks for a cup of hot water, and then takes out a tea bag wrapped in foil from her purse that she'd already used three or four times. Like, gosh, she grew up during the, during, during the depression or something, where she grew up where uh, in a period of great uh, uh, economic and financial insecurity, and she uh, acquired habits during that period that she never shook off, either because." she associates that with stability and and security or simply that they were just habits that she formed. And I'm wondering if we're going to be the butt of jokes where, wow, your grandfather, like always, like I, I just like put my hands in the water for about 10 seconds. Your, your, your grandfather like washes his hands for 30 seconds. Why? Well, he must've, he must've lived through coronavirus. Well, I hope that all of you are doing doing really really well. Um, we're doing we're doing pretty well ourselves, uh, Flo and I. Uh, even though we're doing we're doing so separately, can't wait to do another podcast with her live again next week. Uh, so we're going to be talking about how Google is pitching in in this particular pandemic right after this message. This episode of material is brought to you by Pingdom from Solar Winds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content or how effective your marketing, they'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, device, and platform they use. So you want to identify how visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations and deliver great performance to those who matter most. 
Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you sign up, use the code MATERIAL at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of RelayFM. We often talk about how Google sits at the exact point of intersection between, wow, that's really cool, and wow, that's really creepy. And one of the ways of expressing really creepy is, wow, that could be really, really scary if it were in the hands of the wrong people, or if we're allowed to, uh, this tool or this thing that Google has created was allowed to take a much, much bigger role in our society than we had ever planned when it was first introduced. So this is this kind of summarizes a new statistical tool, or at least a set of statistical reports that Google is providing for people for uh, communities uh, worldwide in this pandemic. They uh, the uh, they're creating a system where, or they have created a system where you can, uh, whether you're an individual or a uh, or a government leader, you can uh, type in the name of a location in any one of 131 different countries and reason, regions and get a really very nicely detailed report on the mobility of your people. And the point of these reports is to figure out, are people quarantining in place? Uh, how uh, are they still going to bars and restaurants and stores? Are they going to recreational areas? It gives these communities an idea of uh, if they are trying to enforce a quarantine order or if they're trying to avoid putting in a, a very, very restrictive quarantine order, here is the data that will fuel your decision-making. In my own state, the governor has been doing uh, daily uh, daily briefings every afternoon, and the progression of it over the past few weeks has been we don't want to have to shut down bars and restaurants, but we're telling people to please stay away from bars and restaurants. And if people don't just voluntarily do that, we're just going to have to put in an order and shut them all down. We're hoping that's not going to happen. This is the sort of data you need to make sure that you're not creating restrictions on the population that are not necessary. Uh, and the other thing is to sort of maybe help individuals and households feel a little better to be able to see here is people. Are, I'm not the only one who is sheltering in place here. There are lots and lots of people that look at that. Look at that graph of uh, every two. It's uh, the graph data points are about every 72 hours. Every 72 hours are points on this graph. So you can see how uh, user uh, per, per, people mobility throughout an com individual community was. Uh, about a month ago, and then see how that graph is tapering off. You can see, for instance, in my own community that uh, in leaving the house to go shopping is down 53%. Uh, recreational areas is down less than that, but, but possibly because of our, our governor uh, intentionally kept like parks and beaches open. You can't drive to them if you're in, they're in your local community. Uh, part of it was that, once again, she she's very, very good at saying, at uh, being like the mom or the dad voice. 
saying that now look we're going to trust you with a certain amount of responsibility and if you and if it turns out that we couldn't trust you with this responsibility of only going out when you need to and only going out for fresh air and exercise because that's good for mental health too but if you abuse this then we're going to have to shut down the beaches and not shut down the parks and who are you going to have to blame for that not me not the government you're going to have to blame yourself because you decided to have a barbecue and at the beach instead of say instead of just tossing a frisbee around and maintaining a distance safe distance between between people so uh, they work very very well i don't you can download them as pdfs and they're kind of presentation quality pdfs so if you wanted to share these graphs with other people um i'll quote uh, google's announcement from the blog um, these reports use aggregated anonymized data to chart movement trends over time by geography across different high-level categories of places such as retail and recreation, groceries and pharmacies, parks, transit stations, workplaces, and residential. will show trends over several weeks, but the most recent information representing 48 to 72 hours prior. While we display a percentage point increase or decrease in visits, we do not share the absolute number of visits. To protect people's privacy, no personally identifiable information like an individual's location, contacts, or movement is made available at any point. So, of course, Google, knowing what it's uh, what the what the hot hot buttons are in its PR, uh, no, 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 please, we're not going to we're not telling people where you are. We're not telling those. We're not if you're a New Yorker. We're not telling people. We're not telling uh, uh, the, the state troopers where to find you or anything like that. We're to send the hounds. Uh, no, no, we're using all kinds of anonymous stuff. That, so that's very, very good. That said, that what they're not saying explicitly is, yeah, we do have the ability to track lots of random people's location without necessarily them knowing about it. I mean, where where are these graphs? Where, are, where is this data coming from, if not from the phone in your pocket? So that is an object of worry. However, and this is something that uh, I, I have been really – I don't know, thinking about it, it's great when your uh, when your beliefs, when your uh, principles are challenged, that it's it's terrible that we have these devices in our pocket that we buy, we pay lots of money for to make our lives easier and make our lives more fulfilling and to entertain ourselves. But none, but unfortunately they're being exploited by companies like Google, people who are marketing stuff, people who sell ads uh, to learn as much about our, about us and our movements and as much uh, glean, as much per- personal information from these devices as possible. And uh, in a normal April, this would be a uh, – I would be making an audio editorial here about how that's horrible and how we have the right to make sure that we can protect ourselves and there should be federal oversight and regulations on what kind of information can be collected and how it can be used. This is, however, not a normal April, is it? And given that we have had it demonstrated to us worldwide that the way to knock this uh, this uh, this thing down is to make sure that we self-isolate and restrict our movements so even if we if it's going from new york city to vermont because you think there are fewer people in vermont even if you're healthy that's not necessarily the most productive thing to do as part of a community you actually want to stay in place so that you're not introducing stuff to uh, to do uh Places that have not had aid, have not had a lot of exposure to this virus, but also has fewer resources in place or spun up into place for dealing with people when they get sick. Um, so 
it's weird. Uh, in this April, I am at least uh, intellectually able to think that Facebook and Google and all these other companies, they have uh, access to a lot of data that could be very, very handy to the health community to seeing exactly where how people are moving around. If you have a – particularly if you have someone who has been admitted into a hospital because not only do they have COVID-related illnesses, but they are have very severe illnesses, um, it would be very, very important to know – Given that if they probably carried this virus for a couple of weeks before they even felt a little bit out of the uh, out of the out of the normal, it's important to know where do they live. Also, where they have been, where they've been hanging out. If they went to work, you know, did they take public transit to go to work, so that they have an idea of which blob of the of the population has been exposed with this person, and also so they can analyze uh, collectively all of this data to figure out what the vectors are and how to tamp them down. Um, the difficulty, of course, is that um, in a better world, I would be thinking that, well, I'm willing to allow if, – if the government said that, hey, we want, we want to, uh, we want to um, induce, if not force, Google to hand over certain information, not giving up to the government – to excuse me, to the federal government per se, but to the CDC or uh, trusted medical authorities that they could use to analyze, analyze this data and benefit from it and save lives. But does this then become kind of like how – uh, we made all kinds of responses in, in, in response to, to 9-11 to tighten security, including let's create an entire new branch of uh, of the security apparatus to screen people at airports. And now we have this, this structure in place. We don't know if we still need it, but it's impossible to get rid of now. You know, we've, we can't take put the toothpaste back into the tube. And this is something that I'm sure that Google is debating on a day-to-day basis and something they're going to be have to be on guard against, as well as we're going to have to be on guard against. Um, we are willing to give up, for instance, a lot of freedom uh, in, the, in the abstract. Again, we are willing to agree that it's horrifying. Again, I live in the Times Square of a quaint uh, seaside village, and there are lots of little shops and lots of little restaurants and coffee shops. And one by one, they are putting up their signs. They're, okay, we tried doing takeout only, but we can't really afford to do that anymore. So we're closing up. We hope to see you in a couple of months with the implication being that this might be it for us. We were kind of going month to month as it was. And this was having no income for a couple of months is what gonna, what's going to do us in. Um, how, are, how are we going to explain to future generations that we allowed all these small businesses to fold to take this huge economic hit by allowing our government, our local government, to shut, to close down all privately owned businesses. Again, we're we're willing to sort of take that hit if it's going to uh, save lives, but we don't want to create, we don't want to let bad people introduce the thin end of the wedge into separating us from our freedoms. So uh, I'm glad, I'm glad Google's doing this. This isn't the only thing that they're doing to pitch in and use their, a uh, particular set of skills uh, to help people in this crisis. We'll be talking about that after the next ad. But this is another data point. This is another ex- another um, reason for us to continue to evaluate and think about what our relationship is to privacy, what our relationship is to the companies that are exist kind of with the power of governments like uh, like Google, and also what 
we are willing to demand from our government, people who we grant power over our movements to, and whether we are, uh, what is the line in which we trust technological tools in the hands of people that we, uh, with the idea that just like we give the police certain power, we give the fire department certain power because we are empowering them to save us and help us as individuals and as a society. Where is the line though, in which we're willing to say, I know that this is, it would be, it is a threat to public health that we're not allowing uh, certain agencies to have access to personal data, but this is the line in which we are not willing to, uh, we're not willing to compromise. A lot, of, a lot of the big heavy issues that we're going to continue to talk about and think about, I hope that result in a lot of uh, very, very, uh, a lot of gray, uh, gray borders are going to be drawn in heavy black lines after this because we've never had to think about this before. Well, let's think about this. We're going to be ready for another message and we'll come back later. This episode of Material is brought to you by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. They have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you'll get access to Nanode plans that start as low as $5, native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, and industry-leading processors, block storage and object storage that can scale to your storage requirements, one-click installs of the most popular apps, including WordPress, LampStack, and game servers for Minecraft, and more. Go to linode.com slash material and use promo code material2020 when creating a new Linode account, and you'll get a $20 credit towards your next project. Oh, and Linode are hiring right now. So if that's something that interests you, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once again, that's linode.com slash material and the promo code material2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of Material and all of Relay FM. Well, how else is Google helping in this time of pandemicry? Well, they are pitching in to help communities that have no broadband. Uh, they've been uh, partnering with the state of California to provide free Wi-Fi to 100,000 rural households. That's mostly by providing those households with uh, Wi-Fi hotspots to uh, connect you to uh, wireless broadband. Uh, and also 4,000 Chromebooks, once again, targeted at the lowest income students. Now, this is a particularly an important thing. And Google is hopefully not the only people, uh, not the only company that's going to pitch in for this because – the problem with stress on a system causes the cracks that already exist to widen and become even more apparent uh, to, and harder to deny for people who would like to deny them. And one of the biggest problems tech-related that this country has is the digital divide. You've heard this term before. This is the problem between places like my neighborhood that have really good fiber optic broadband and also, I can afford to pay for good fiber optic 
uh, broadband, but there's a really, really good gulf between uh, areas like me and consumers like me and the people who really, really need this stuff but can't afford it. And even if they could afford it, they just uh, the local broadband providers just are not interested in providing them with good service or really any service at all. If you are in any way uh, – <laughs> Uh, if you in any way do not understand the scope of this problem, uh, Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee wrote a really good white paper about this uh, for the Brookings Institute just a couple weeks ago. Uh, and the I, uh, the link is in the show notes. Absolutely, you should take a look at it because it makes the case so emphatically as to refuse denial of those conclusions. It's a uh, uh, 20, she cites that 21.3 million Americans lack access to the internet as of 2019, and that's the FCC's numbers. Uh, two-thirds of rural America says that they have broadband. So that's one-third that do not. 35% of lower-income households lack any access at all. Not only that, but also lack of multiple devices. So realize that it's uh, – if. If you only if the if the access point to the internet consists of one laptop or even just one phone, that means that you have two kids who are trying to do classwork for two different things. That's not going to work. And also, if you have a parent that has to work from home and a kid who has to do school from home, that's also a problem. Illustrating that it's not just broadband; it's also the devices too. And Although you might think, okay, well, that's a really big problem in rural America. It's really is affects it affects people everywhere. Uh, even in San Francisco, the, the report says there are a hundred thousand people without internet access. Now, so the FCC is supposed to solve this problem by saying, hey, we're going to make sure we we have a mandate for broadband providers to make sure that everybody's hooked up with the internet. Well, yes. But the broadband providers get around this by providing uh, the affordability uh, is delivered by creating really, really horrible plans that are damn near useless. Uh, meaning that if you have a plan that uh, most people in the lower tier of income could possibly afford, there are going to be data caps. Uh, so you, you will run out really, really quickly within the first couple of weeks. And the speed is just plain terrible. So they t they can get away with this mandate of hey look hey we did we did provide uh, uh, broadband service to what we believe to be an unprofitable part of of our market but they are really doing no favors for anybody it's just use they're they're taking money for essentially text messaging and that's it um, now it's not as though these companies are doing nothing during this crisis. Comcast, for instance, has suspended uh, caps. Uh, they've also increased speeds for two whole months. They're also offering free Wi-Fi hotspots. But even that, okay, well done, better than nothing. But even that kind of makes you want to say, okay, but over the past several years, you have said that we have to have data caps and we have to reduce speeds because otherwise our system just absolutely will not be able to, to, to work. Everything will become, will come crash, crashing down. So Comcast, if your system does not come crashing down over the next two months, you're no longer allowed to make that excuse, are you? Uh, now, hopefully... <laughs> Adding to this problem is lack of awareness that this is a really big problem. Uh, Gigi Sohn, who's a distinguished fellow at Georgetown, uh, Georgetown Institute for Technology and Policy, uh, the digital divide is one of her big, uh, big areas of interest. And she, uh, uh, I did not know about her until uh, a couple of weeks ago, but oh boy, am I a fan. Uh, she was on Twitter 
Uh, it's when the uh, $2 trillion, $2 trillion COVID-19 relief package was passed by Congress. Uh, she examined, of course, everything, and she discovered that, no, there's, ab- there's next to no money in that relief package for alleviating these problems. Now, they could have, the government could have done some simple things, like there's already the FCC's uh, Lifeline service, which is a service that allows uh, government discounts to uh, to uh, internet connections or mobile connections. Uh, again, through the Lifeline program, there's also the uh, the FCC's E-rate program, which is a similar system provided for schools and libraries. They could have opened that up to lower income people. Uh, and meanwhile, Ajit Pai, uh, the FCC's uh, director. Uh, he, from day one, since being sworn in, he said that, oh, this is one of the biggest problems that we have, uh, the digital divide, and my it's my it's my promise, my determination to close this gap. Meanwhile, his FCC is, again, doing pretty much nothing about it. It looks good on paper. Uh, they are allowing these broadband companies to get away with kind of uh, technically uh, uh, complying with FCC guidelines, but not really. Also, when the FCC themselves produces its own reports about how it's progressing on narrowing the digital divide, they tend to choose studies and tend to choose methodologies of uh, judging uh, data that favor a positive result for them. They're not necessarily interested in getting the most accurate data. They've been cherry picking uh, when, so they say that, so the FCC's data claims that they've been making uh, progress, but other studies say that they've been at best treading water. Like I said, Disasters like this one, or the situations like this one, they don't tend to uh, cause damage. They tend to open. They tend to again make it make the cracks even wider. Uh, and now the drip of water that was leaking out is now pouring out. And this is the situation that we're faced with right now. There are people who now have to work from home. They have to telecommute, so they have to have good broadband. Their kids have to go to school via the internet they have to have good broadband and they have to both be able to use the system at the same time so the digital divide is not a case of oh boy oh too bad you can't you can't access netflix and you can't stream your games no here's the problem of the digital divide in a situation like this and increasingly as the, as we move forward it means that people uh, that, that people in certain parts of the country and people of certain income levels will not be able to work from home, which means they may not be able to work. Kids will not get an education because they don't have this connection. So it's it's long past time to start uh, to start dismiss to to be dismissing this as a problem that will resolve itself in time, or that the steadying hand of the market will will fix this because hey, these cable companies they want to make money too, so they'll bring out no, they won't. They have a map, they have spreadsheets, they have decided that certain areas and certain customers are not very, very profitable. And so they are not very interested in giving them the service that they can get uh, from people of a higher income or running internet to places with a higher population density. This is not optional. In a more enlightened reality, (laughs) I think the the government would be looking into finally uh, regulating internet access companies as utilities 
which would put a, an amazingly new set of rules upon how they can operate uh, and what they're required to do. They're no longer, they would certainly no longer be allowed to say, well, thank you very much for agreeing to do this stuff. And eh, okay, we'll take your word for it that although you didn't make your, you didn't make your goal targets uh, this year, within the next five years, say you'll do it. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, we're going to, uh, we're going to announce that if you can, if a household can hear a church bell, uh, on a certain time every Sunday. Well, that's information, and they're getting it. So we'll cl- we'll count that as broadband, mobile broadband. Uh, I'm not far off. This is some of the bogus arguments that these people make. Uh, I hope that I, I'm almost making a mental list in my head of all the different things that are being exposed by the coronavirus uh, problem, uh, and my hopes that society will wise up that there are reasons why you fix that dripping pipe while it's dripping, you don't you don't wait for it to burst because then you have problems that are a lot bigger than a dripping pipe. And drip, 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 the flood is about to come. Well, let's move on to simpler uh, simpler news. There, uh, uh, Apple has acquired the weather app Dark Sky, uh, which means that. Uh, uh, according to their announcement, <laughs> they bought the whole company, bought all the people. Uh, and the if you go to the Dark Skies, uh, Dark Skies blog, they say that. And uh, of course, we're going to be, uh, we're not going to have, we're only going to have an iOS version of the app. We're not going to have an Android version of the app. We're not going to have a web version of the app. Uh, and there big bigger problems, knock-on problems for the rest of us Android users because of this You'll notice that uh, num- number one, of course, it means that you won't. Be- if you're using Dark Sky like me as your go-to Android weather app, you're gonna have to find a new one. Uh, there are all alter- all, there are a, a lot of good alternatives. Uh, Lifehacker has uh, rounded up a list of uh, alternatives to Dark Sky. Um, I had already settled on Hello Weather as it has that combination of it's efficient, it's very very clear, it's very pretty looking. Uh, and unlike carrot weather, it doesn't make me feel bad for wanting to know what time it is or what the weather is going to be. You can go for that. That's fine. It's just, it's, you know, you know, you know how it is. Sometimes the the very first contact with the outside world that you have is when your phone alarm wakes you up and you pick it up and you see, you know, a weather alert or a weather widget. And I want that to be positive and friendly. I don't want it to be snarky. I don't want David Letterman to wake me up. <sighs> Anyway, but let's uh, so find a new one. It's, for me, it's going to be Hello Weather. But you'll notice something. So when you install Hello Weather as the first as the first launch, it asks you, okay, what source of weather information do you want to use? And for a lot of them, if not most of them, the default is Dark Sky, because Dark Sky did not just provide apps; it also provided an API so that developers could integrate weather features into their own apps. So the fact that they're shutting down the API for dark sky weather also means that a great number of uh, it really does change the the center of gravity for android based weather apps. Now, it's not a killer problem because on hello weather and most other apps uh, dark sky is just usually the default. There are other uh, options, AccuWeather, a couple others. But at least with Hello Weather, you can't choose an alternative unless you go from the freeware version of it to the pay the pay version of it. Uh, and Hello Weather is worth the money. I think it's something like ten bucks. Uh, it was not not a painful amount of money, but it that just shows you that there that was ten bucks that you wouldn't necessarily have had to spend before uh, before Apple acquired Dark Sky. 
Now, this is a Google podcast. This isn't an Apple pro- podcast, but this is definitely one of those cases in which Apple's decisions intersect directly with uh, the Google and the Android community. So I can, I'm allowed to say, I think, that this is very disappointing. Uh, it's not surprising because Apple has shown dang near no interest in being multi-platform on just about anything. They have to be, they really have to be forced, uh, convinced that uh, inability to support Android will result in the death of this service. This is why you can get Apple Music uh, on uh, on Android devices. And when uh, when they acquired uh, when they acquired uh, their 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 music service, it was multi multi platform, but they didn't simply terminate access for Android. This is a replay of uh, they started off the iPod. Uh, Steve Jobs did not want any way anyhow to support Windows. But they were, he was soon convinced that he was leaving a lot of money on the table. Same reason why you can buy an iPad, you can buy an iPhone, and both of them will work just fine uh, with Windows. Now, uh, it also makes me wonder how soon Apple will create an Apple Watch that works with Android. I think it's long, long overdue. Now, the difference between uh, the iPhone and the iPad is that, especially in the intervening years since its release, They've been made so that you don't have to ever connect it to a desktop computer if you if you don't want to. Or even if, by default, it will do everything. It will register itself online. You can install apps online. You can do maintenance backups all digitally. So you would never even have to find that cable for it. Uh, the Apple Watch is trending towards that. You can already install apps directly from an app store that's uh, app store app that's on the device itself. But you still need to have a really. It will not work unless you have it associated with an actual iPhone, and I'm wondering how much longer that will last. Uh, the Apple Watch is making money hand over fist, hand over several fists, hand over big, hairy <laughs> several fists. But that's still money they're leaving on the table, particularly as Google continues to have absolutely no answers for making Wear OS into an, an attractive proposition. Uh, there is the Apple Watch, and there really is no other successful smartwatch or, or wearable. The second category is just fitness wearables, which are much more limited in scope. They're not nearly as stylish. Uh, and there's that's a big pile of money they're leaving on the table by not supporting it. Also, it makes them... The more that they claim that the Apple Watch changes lives and saves saves lives, and the more data comes about that kind of underscores that well, yes, there are we can we can argue me- about the medical data about exactly what the e- uh, the ECG function is doing and uh, how uh, how efficient and how effective it is. However, the stories of people that did not realize that they were having a heart issue until they heated, a, they heated a little caution from their watch, are mounting. And so it's uh, they're very proud of it, correctly so. It's a brilliant device. But every time that they make an announcement like that, talking about how successful this watch is, they're kind of saying that Android users do not deserve to have their lives changed or saved by this technology. So I would love to see Apple be a little bit more open about supporting more than one type of device. Now, that veered a little bit into Apple Watch, but once again, that touches into Google because, again, Wear OS, I was so interested in it. It was so cool. I really loved my Moto 360, but unless I'm – it's a perfect watch for me if I need to 
if I'm time traveling back four or five years and I can only buy things available there for, for the duration of my stay. Otherwise, you don't want this thing. It doesn't really work nearly to the potential of what an Apple Watch can do. Um, but it, but on Dark Sky, what would it have cost them, I think, to to have a weather API? What would it have cost them to, uh, to uh, as much as they enhance the, uh, the, the weather app, to continue to enhance the API so that it could it could be the the spark plug behind not just Android based weather apps but also iOS iOS based weather apps. Um, we can also, we can of course speculate as to why they decided to acquire this app. Uh, one of the things that Dark Sky did very very well would be uh, with hyper local. Uh, forecast and hyper local weather so not just here is the weather at the nearest airport to your house but also here is the weather in your even in your neighborhood or next door to you if your next door neighbor has a as a a, a, a weather station the um it just as a journalist as a writer as a commentator I do have this idea in the back of my mind that there is such a thing as a truly great company and truly great technology and I have my own little rules for arbitrating that. One of them is that what Apple does is extremely impressive. But when you tear it apart and you really look at the nuts and bolts of what they're doing, most of their great successes are we built a piece of – we built a phone that has a uh, CPU inside it that we built that runs an operating system that we built. Uh, that interfaces well with a cloud service that we made and also integrates well with the laptop or the desktop that hardware that we make that runs our own OS and also our own APIs. You see where I'm getting at here. All that is a presents Apple with wonderful and consumers and their, their customers with huge opportunities because there's a level of sophistication and reliability and elegance you can only get when you have one company that's overseeing everything. However, the level of difficulty on making stuff work under those conditions is not that high. It's not, nothing is easy, but when you, you don't have to twist anybody's arm. You just threaten to fire somebody if, when, when it's all being done inside your own corporate campus. What Google has to do is a lot more complicated, and Microsoft is facing that same problem. They are, like we've been talking about Wear OS, the, 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 the basic problem behind Wear OS is still that they uh, all the CPUs for it, all the mobile CPUs are made by Qualcomm. Qualcomm is not interested in making a mobile CPU, excuse me, a, a wearable CPU that's in any way <laughs> as f- uh, fresher than four or five years ago. It's a really, really old design and really limits what these wearables can do. And there are other problems as well, but this is an example of how they can't really, they can't uh, simply whip up their own CPU because then they'd have to really manufacture all of their own watches. And even the, even if they had all that stuff, they can't force all of their developers to support Wear OS or support a brand new feature. That's uh, it's even a problem on uh, on uh, on Pixel phones or in baseline Android phones. They have to simply encourage them to do so. The fact that Google does such a good job at this is very very impressive. The fact that they can make a service like Google Docs that works incredibly well, whether you're using it as an app or whether as a, a, a website or as a web app is amazing. And there are the, and not, I'm not saying that uh, Google is better than Apple. There are all the, all kinds of categories. There are lots of things that Apple does <laughs> that uh, Google can't even touch, but it does 
make me think and make me wonder. It's a we all. It's why you really can't ever get too comfortable when you're using any particular app, whether it's a weather app, whether it's a note app, notes app, whatever it is. If it's not a, an Apple product or a Google product or a Microsoft product uh, or a Facebook product, you're always just one one check away from this becoming the private property of the company that you swore you never wanted to do business with ever. Uh, and that's assuming that this new owner of this thing that you rely on every single day decides to keep supporting it. Uh, my 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 sob story continues to be Wonderlist, a list making app that I loved, and it works great. It was perfect for my workflow. But then Microsoft bought it, and they decided that uh, they were not not necessarily going to simply up to slap a Microsoft label on it. They were simply going to take the personnel they needed from that team, uh, and then take all of its user base and make it very easy for them to transition into their Microsoft Office based list solution, which is all projecty and corporatey, and it's not really for a freelance like myself who has to do research on eight different categories for a whole bunch of different places that I write for and I speak for uh, or Instagram or remember how remember how we were all excited about Instagram where we're saying hey man we're sticking we're speaking truth to power hey Facebook man you can't control us we're going to use this upstart that doesn't cares about my privacy and my security and then Facebook said hey I noticed because all the data that we're stealing from people's phones and desktops a lot of people are using this thing called Instagram so we bought it oh dear so always have a plan b always have a reserve shoot and in this case Maybe you're gonna have to spend ten bucks for for a weather app. Finally, well, let's go. Let's let's end on a more up, upbeat and uh, and trivial note. Uh, 3D Google Search is finally here. This is something that Google was talking about last year during Google I/O, where if you do a Google search, just a regular uh, search through the search app, it will on your on your phone. Uh, it will if ha- it will also uh, show within the uh, the Google created content box. Here is a 3D model, uh, an augmented reality wired up model that you can now play with. Uh, and so, if you do a Google search for uh, for Saturn, uh, it will give you. <laughs> if you want to look at Saturn in augmented reality, great. And we'll you tap the button. It will put this. You can uh, within the app. You can simply scroll around it and twirl around 3D, uh, or you, you can put the object on your desk or in your room or on the floor. Uh, and it's pretty darn cool. I was playing with it for about a half an hour, mostly trying to see how how vast its library of augmented reality content was going to be. Uh, and truth be told, it's not, uh, it's not like uh, finding something on Wikipedia. It's not comprehensive. If you, if you could expect to find this thing in a uh, child's one volume encyclopedia, you'll almost certainly find it here. So any animal, you want an elephant, you got yourself an elephant. You want a monkey, you got yourself a monkey. Uh, and, uh, the first, uh, thank goodness, this has not. This knowledge has not gone, not really penetrated to uh, most of America, or else we would see so many uh, Netflix Tiger King based jokes based on having a life size augmented reality, t- the ability to drop a life size augmented reality tiger uh, in the middle of your room. Uh, but it's it's a great. This is this is something that Google does extremely well. Uh, Google search is so part of our culture now that we forget that it's a product that see it feels like 
electricity or plumbing, where it's just something that the planet evolved on its own, as opposed to a really complicated piece of software that a company was founded on and that continues to make billions of dollars for this company. Uh, but the fact that they they have this wonderful infrastructure and they can find new ways all the time of uh, of exploiting this infrastructure infrastructure as opposed to exploiting its users is great. Uh, I don't the the I would love to see this expanded to the state where just like most companies uh, of a certain size are absolutely concerned with how their company appears through Google search. And uh, if they want to make sure they have a, and they also want to make sure they have a Twitter presence. They want to make sure they have an Instagram presence. Wouldn't it be great if every car company, as soon as they created a new, as soon as they released a new car, made sure that they had uploaded a, a, an augmented reality model of that car to wherever it needs to go so that Google search can surface it. Because I kind of want to, I kind of want to see that new Camaro. Like, what would it look like parked in front of my house? And what would I, what would it look like me leaning against it? And I'll have to like, you know, find a, mailbox or something that I could lean against and then sort of cover it up with a car. But that's the sort of stuff that really turns you into a resident of the 21st century and feel like a resident of the 21st century. Uh, And we keep, it's another indication of how interesting the world will become as soon as augmented reality glasses become a real thing. I still don't know how it's going to become a real thing. I can't, Apple is working super hard on this. They they want j- not just the concept of AR, but they want the glasses. They want the goggles. To this day, I don't know how they can, any company, even Apple, who was the most, they, again, they made smartwatches cool. It is, uh, a the Apple Watch is objectively a cool watch. If all it did was tell time, it would be still be a cool watch. Imagine what they could do in creating a pair, set of augmented reality goggles. Uh but that's the problem. You have to have these goggles on your face all the time in order to make any get any real use out of them. And uh, I'm lucky uh, in that I have, have I'm slightly nearsighted and I wear glasses most of the day. So if you can make something that maybe is a little bit more Buddy Holly or Rory Orbison substantial and somehow hide the electronics in there, that's not a really big pivot for me. However, how about the people who have perfect vision or have had uh, vision corrective surgery? How are you going to convince them to start putting this thing on their face? Uh, and not just for not just when they go to school, not just when they're working on assembly line, but just, hey, I'm going for my daily walk. I'm going to be wearing my glasses or I'm just doing my daily commute. I want to wear my glasses because the great thing about augmented reality will be all these incidental things that it helps you with. Like uh, if the, the, this, the, the way that when uh, the, the Google Maps is one of the best demos of what augmented reality can possibly be, the ability to simply I'm just walking down the street like normal. I'm just looking around New York City like normal. But the things that I have marked as places I'd like to visit or interesting places in Google Maps are just slightly glowing, slightly highlighted and and annotated so that I know that if I want to if I want to go to uh, if I want to go to the New York Public Library, I can't see it from here, but hey, it's pointing me. It's here is the 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 cardinal direction which I'd have to go in order to get there. Stuff like that. That's what's going to really make you make you uh, make you happy. Uh, it also demonstrates that this is we are seeing what the industry does when they know that there's somewhere out there there is a lot of money to be made in augmented reality. That this feels like it's going to be the next 
big thing. Just like multi-touch was once the next big thing. And just like the mouse was once the next big thing. Uh, and mobile, powerful mobile uh, phones was the next big thing. Things that really absolutely changed the landscape of how we interact with technology. And everybody feels as though this is going to be the big next thing. So much so that even though they don't have the, the rocket hover car that can fly between dimensions, they're making all the software that they're going to need uh, once that hardware is a, an available thing and a practical thing. That's why you see... Google doing things like here is Google search that now can surface augmented reality objects. It's fun to put an elephant on your desk and twirl them around and be able to look, you know, okay, is his tail longer than his trunk or shorter than his trunk? Like I kind of, I never, I kind of want to see what an elephant's butt looks like. Hey, look, he's got a butt. Uh." Okay. There are things that you remember being a kid. There are things you use the the encyclopedia for that probably your teachers or the creators of the encyclopedia never approved of. But anyway, I digress. Uh, This is why they're putting these things in. Once we have augmented reality and we can do – we maybe ask for uh, through our glasses as we're just walking around uh, saying, hey, is there a place nearby that has – that that, that sells fill-in-the-blank? And then it could not only tell us, highlight where these things are in our field of vision, but also put in front of us, here are these things that, here are examples of the things that they have in stock. So we don't have to, we can actually examine it, make a purchasing decision, and then place the order as we walk to it. All this stuff without any hardware to support it yet. That's how excited these people are. That's why I find this sort of thing excited. And until then, you do get to play with a desktop elephant. And I think that's really, really wonderful. Well, that's going to do it for us for this week. I uh, should mention that uh, memberships, if you want to support uh, Relay FM and Material, uh, memberships are wonderfully available. Uh, go to relay.fm slash material uh, to check out that. Uh, remember that our next episode is the landmark episode 250. Uh, Flo and I are going to be taking a, having a really great con- our first real conversation that was not that has not been done via chat. Uh, in about a month, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. We're going to be talking about the history of the show, the history of Google, our hopes, our dreams for the world, for Google, and for humanity. So please, please tune into that. Uh, Thank you so much for listening this week. We hope you listen again next time. Until then, have a wonderful week, everybody. Stay safe.